Dear brethren, greetings to all of you. May the peace of God be with all of you. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to talk to you today. And I want, brethren, us to think about the statement that Jesus Christ made and repeated several times. I could say many times. And I have heard many different explanations about this. Let's read together, brethren, to go directly into the subject today. I invite you to go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to read the statement by Jesus Christ. And we will see how he adds gradually to this concept so it becomes clear for us, for our hearts, for our minds, exactly what he meant. It's interesting that he repeated this so many times. And even recently I have heard many different understandings about this. So we're going to let the word of God explain to us exactly what he meant. Let's go to Matthew again, like I said, in chapter 10. And let's look at verse 38. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow me, follow after me, is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. But the concept I want to concentrate on exactly today, which is related to what I just read, is that he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Why did he mean by taking the cross, brethren? I can tell you that it was a very different concept that from what people have today, especially when they wear crosses on their chest and like an ornament, and they make it with sometimes with precious stones and gold or silver. Brethren, when Jesus Christ made this statement, and we're going to repeat it here on chapter 16, we're going to see exactly what he meant. Chapter 16 of the book of Matthew and verse 24. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, remember, he is the one who leads us into eternal life, into the kingdom of God. And we are here because we desire to follow him. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. He's adding another element to this concept here. And take up his cross and follow me. So he's added something here. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Why did he mean? What did he mean by this, dear brethren? When he made this statement, I can assure you, for the disciples, it didn't have the romantic meaning of having a beautiful golden cross on your chest and take it every day like some people do and some used to do. Even when the church started going astray, they thought it was okay to do that. 
For them, brethren, it was a horrifying statement. They saw people dying slowly with one of the systems of execution most cruel ever invented by humans. That was the way Romans put people to death. And the disciples of Jesus Christ have certainly seen people hanging on crosses close to the city, by the way, where everybody could see them, so that they would learn a lesson of what happens to criminals. So when he said, made this statement, I can assure you, is very different from what people understand normally when they hear it. The cross is, was an instrument of death. There was absolutely no other way to understand it. Why is Christ making this statement, brethren? If you want to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, some people, if you ask, some people think the cross is, some people say the cross, my cross in life is uh, my mother-in-law. Or uh, my cross is my son who is a drug addict. Or my cross is the arthritis that doesn't let me walk very much straight any longer. What does it mean to take up his cross, brethren? Let's continue to read and see how many Christ, how many times Christ repeated this statement, and we understand exactly what he meant. In the book of Mark, <clears throat> chapter 8, we see how the Gospels repeat this concept, and we're going to see little by little exactly what it means. In chapter 8 of the book of Mark, I invite you to read with me, brethren, Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And when he had called the people, that's Mark 8:34, to him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We see it repeated again. We're going to see once more or twice in the book of Luke, and we see he will add still another element to this concept as we read it in the book of Luke. Let's go to chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke and verse 23. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. There is one more element. Deny himself, take up his cross, number two, daily. That means was something to be done day by day. If we are following the steps of Jesus Christ, we have to take up, up our cross daily, follow him, and deny ourselves. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There we have a picture more complete now of what Christ meant. We're going to let the Bible interpret itself. And we'll read it for the last time in the book of Luke also, chapter 14. And I repeat this so many times to you, brethren. 
for us to have a clear concept of how important this concept is for Jesus Christ and for us, his disciples. We read the last statement now in Luke chapter 14 and verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, disciple means the one who disciplines himself. What exactly did he mean, brethren, by this statement? We're going to let the Bible interpret itself. And I invite you to come with me to the book of Romans, chapter 6. We're going to see how we become more clear to our understanding explained here by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin? Remember, brethren, in the minds of those that heard Jesus Christ in those days, it was very clear what he meant by taking up the cross. It meant to take an instrument of death and walk towards death. What exactly that means for us today? Let's continue and we'll see how the Bible will explain to us the word of God. Then the Apostle Paul says, Certainly not. We will not continue in sin. How shall we who died to sin? Here you see that concept of death start coming in. And it's important to understand why Christ chose that concept. It's very radical. Let's continue. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do we not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Remember, and you know this, brethren, it's going to be explained right away here. Baptism means the fact that we are put under water. That's the symbol of a grave. It's the symbol of death. So we're going to face this concept more and more clearly as we continue. Therefore, we were buried with him. There you go. He's talking of death. And it's very important to understand this, my dear brethren, to understand how radical is this concept and how much Christ expects from us. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. A new life. After we were dead, we come up to a new life. Let's continue. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Interesting how many times this concept comes here. And you will see exactly how it is explained here just in a second. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing that our old man was crucified with him. There you have it. 
the old man was crucified with him. Our old way of life was buried in baptism, and we should have a clear conscience of the fact that we cannot live again the way we lived before. That is considered as death that is left behind. And it says here, the old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Christ explained very clearly, when we sin, we are slaves of sin. We cannot get out of it. Christ came to free us from the slavery of sin, from Egypt, which means slavery, as you very much know with the first commandment, I'm the eternal, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt, of the house of bondage. So, to be To take the cross means to crucify sin, to put it to death. And let's see it illustrated a little bit more clearly right here in verse chapter 8 of the book of Romans. Chapter 8 of the book of Romans and verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That means that we have to consider sin as something we have to put to death daily. That's what Christ said, take up your cross daily. Crucify the old man. Why? Because there is still a law in our members that we have assimilated from the prince of the power of the air who works in the children of disobedience. But that law is still there. But we have the Spirit of God that He gives to those that obey Him so we can overcome that law that is still in our flesh, in our members. That's why we speak of the fruit of the flesh and of the fruit of the Spirit. We still carry that law in our members and we have to overcome it day by day. And the concept that has to be clear in our heads is that we have to put to death everything that wants to drive us to break that law, which is written in our hearts and minds by the Spirit of God, and be faithful to that commitment we have made to be disciples of Jesus Christ and fulfill that condition that He puts very clearly before us. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's see, for example, here in chapter 7 of the same epistle of Rome, to to the Romans, chapter 7 and verse 23. The Apostle Paul acknowledges that there is still a law in our members, but the law that is in our hearts and minds by the Spirit of God has to overcome that law. Let's look at it. Chapter 7 and verse 23. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. Where does God write His laws when we enter into the covenant by being baptized and having the laying on of hands And we receive the Holy Spirit. He writes the laws in our hearts and in our minds. I think you know that very well. That's the new covenant, dear brethren. But the other law is still there. We're still in the flesh. That's why when we receive the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost, it's represented by two loaves of bread that still have leaven. 
They are presented as the first fruits before God on the day of Pentecost. The disciples of Jesus Christ that were gathered the day of Pentecost, 120 of them, including the 11 disciples, and then after Matthias was added to replace Judas, they received the Holy Spirit, but they were still flesh and blood, brethren, in their physical bodies. We receive the Holy Spirit still in this physical body. We will be free of that law in our members only when we are transformed from flesh into spirit at the sound of the seventh trumpet. Either we have died before and we overcame that law in our members by the law of the Spirit of God in our hearts and minds. Day by day, we have to put it to death. That's what that means, brethren. That's why he said, take up your cross daily. Crucify the old man who used to live in sin. Put it to death so that Christ can live in us. In chapter 7, verse 23, it says, But I see another law in my members. Still there. It's called the leaven in those two loaves of bread. But it has to be put to death by the Spirit day by day, brethren. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. That's the pulse of the flesh to break God's law. Trying to take us in another direction. And he says, against the law of my mind, I'm bringing me into captivity. He who sins is a slave of sin. To the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul understood he had a daily fight. But here he's not yet speaking of Christ in him. He will do it right after this statement. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Immediately after he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. But let's continue. Some people stop there. The thought continues on chapter 8. Don't you ever stop reading this concept at the end of chapter 7. That was artificially done by men. The division of the chapters in the Bible are man-made. They are useful. But let's continue the thought immediately on chapter 8. Don't you ever forget that, brethren. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That means when Christ are dwelling in us, there is no condemnation. Why? Because he transferred to us the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that law. Paul is declaring that he would sin. From time to time, of course. But we have to be overcomers, brethren, and walk with Christ. And he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk, who are in Christ, Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh. That means that power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ and the Father in us, he said, he that will obey my commandments and keeps my word, Me and my Father will make a dwelling inside him. Our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's our duty to keep that presence so much alive 
that the, that other law is overcome day by day. Let's continue. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, because they carry that cross day by day. They put to death. Like it said here in verse 13 of chapter 8, I read again. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I think the concept becomes pretty clear. Let's continue here on chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That means that law is more powerful because of the presence of God in us. But God wants us to have a fight day by day, to take that cross day by day, brethren, so we can prove being faithful in what is little and being overcomers. And that word is repeated seven times, you know, in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. He who overcomes is talking about this concept. That's why it's so important. That's the condition to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple is the one who disciplines himself, who takes up the cross day by day and puts to death. He crucifies everything that is a transgression of God's law. And we have to prove ourselves day by day and overcome day by day. And then the character of Christ will be transferred to us, dear brethren, day by day as we overcomers. So here we read again chapter 2. That's why it's so important, excuse me, chapter 8 of Romans, to continue reading that concept when Paul says he's serving the law of sin. He continues the thought telling us that by ourselves we cannot, but with Christ we can. And as he said, there is therefore no condemnation, chapter 8, verse 1, to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, they are carrying that cross day by day, putting to death the works of the flesh. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, that means the law was written in tablets of stone, not in tablets of flesh of the heart. It couldn't have that power to make the Spirit flow like rivers of living water and put to death the fruits of the flesh. God did did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He was tempted like we all are tempted and He overcame and He Himself, when His Spirit is given to us, when we produce the fruit of repentance, He transfers to us, the power to overcome, we have no excuse. If we do not cultivate that presence in us through prayer and fasting and Bible study and meditation and putting it to work, is our fault. He has given us the power to overcome. We need to learn to use it day by day. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to to the spirit. So I think the concept starts to be more clear as we continue. We see, for example, here another 
exhortation by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 4 and 5. Here is described again this inward battle we have in putting to death sin. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's what I was telling you. We have the power of God. We need to learn to use it in a mighty way to be filled with the Spirit and cast darkness out of us. But it has to be done in a very diligent and permanent way. Casting down arguments. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We have that light, that fight inside, brethren. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. That's what the law is written in the mind and is written in the heart. So as the thoughts and the concepts are brought into captivity of the obedience of Christ, if we don't practice that, they put them in line with the law of God, brethren. We'll be sinning in our hearts. We're going to see that in a moment. And then it continues into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Continual watching the thoughts and the emotions and the feelings in our heart. We have to be watchful and we have to be putting to death everything that has to do with the transgression of the law that is written in our hearts and in our minds. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's 2 Corinthians. Now let's continue and see how this concept becomes more and more clear. Let's put it here in clear terms. If you go to Colossians chapter 3, brethren, Colossians chapter 3, in verse 5. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. I think this translation is not very accurate. I'm going to try to use this other translation I have here to make the concept very clear for you, brethren. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Therefore, put to death. There, you already know that it was written that we crucify the old man. It's written that we by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. Let's remember that. Chapter 8, verse 13 of Romans. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. And he repeats that again. You see how much that concept comes. It came so many times in the Gospels. Now it comes in the Epistles. We just read Second Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Bring them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. A continual state of watch, dear brethren. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Therefore, Colossians 3 and verse 5. Put to death your your members, that doesn't make sense. I read to you what it says here. Chapter 5, chapter 3 and verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in your members. That means that law that is in our members according to what we read. You see, all these concepts are linked in a sequence, brethren, that we 
will see more and more clearly as we continue. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in your members. Exactly, the law that wants to bring us captive to sin, we have to put to death that tendency with the power of the Spirit of God in us. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in your members. That's what it means. Fornication. Brethren, today, it jumps to our eyes Wherever we go, the temptation of fornication, uncleanness, what comes out of the man is what defiles a man. So, brethren, we have to watch our thoughts and our actions. Passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, the love of money. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. That's why we have to be overcomers. Otherwise, brethren, we will not be given authority to judge the world. God is judging us today, day by day, with that law, with those Ten Commandments, the law that God uses to judge those that He has called and He is calling now to see if they put to death the transgressions or the temptations to transgress God's law and live and continue to walk in that narrow path, taking their cross day by day. It says here, verse 6 of chapter 3 of Colossians, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. But now you must put off all these anger. Anger, brethren, that's a fruit of the flesh. We have to put it to death. Wrath, malice. Blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. That's a transgression of the law. We have to watch, put to death that tendency in us. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Put off the old man as exactly the same concept to crucify the old man as we saw in chapter 6 of the book of Romans. And have put on the new man, which is Jesus Christ in us. And his law written in our hearts and minds, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So, now, how should we then behave? What did Christ mean to put to death? Let's see how he explains it himself in Matthew chapter 5, dear brethren. Let's see how radical Jesus Christ is when it comes to adultery or fornication or to hatred of to any of those things that are transgressions of the law of God. In chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, we're going to see how Christ, how he applied this principle of taking up your cross. Put to death. Put to death sin, brethren. For example, before we go to Matthew 5, I want to read what Christ said in chapter 11 of the same gospel of Matthew. Chapter 11 and verse 12. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. When you speak of putting to death, brethren, it's a sort of violence. The righteous violence to put to death what wants to bring us into the captivity of sin and be free from it. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent 
take it by force. Who are the violent who take the kingdom by force? Those that put to death the tendencies to transgress God's laws that are still in our members. That's that simple, brethren. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. How do we do that, brethren? How can we keep ourselves blameless in this rotten generation, brethren, so we can be the wife of Christ and have this white linen clothing, brethren, which is the righteous deeds of the saints, so we can be in holiness. Holiness means to obey God, to keep that law in the heart and in the mind, brethren, with zeal, without compromise. And Christ gives us a wonderful example here in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. Let's see how in chapter 5 and uh, verse 27. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Remember, the law was written outside the hearts and the minds of people. It was in tablets of stone inside the ark, the physical ark. Now, brethren, our body has become the temple of God. And there is a holy of holies in our heart, in the depths of our being, where those laws are written by the Holy Spirit. So now, that law acquires a dimension of depth, a fulfillment that is profound, brethren, that did not have before. Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it, to add a dimension of depth, of purity, of heart, dear brethren, to it, that only the Holy Spirit can produce in us if we put it to work. Chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard, Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. The only way they were really guilty if there were two or three witnesses that someone had committed the actual act of adultery with a married woman or a married man. We're going to see that fornication produces the same sentence of death. Fornicators will be in the lake of fire, brethren. So, that's those that are single. Let's see how he applies here. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now the law is written in the heart. And I don't need to go and do the actual sin, physical. Just the coveting inside constitute the transgression of God's law, dear brethren. That's the type of holiness God requires of us. Now, let's see how Christ says we have to behave in face of temptation. What comes to the eyes, we have to reject it immediately, brethren, and not flirt with sin, because we will be caught. That's what he says, flee fornication. You cannot flirt with fornication. You will be caught in it. You have to flee from it, so that we can escape sin, brethren, and be zealous for the law that is written in our hearts and minds, and to respect the presence of Jesus Christ and God the Father inside us. And not to afflict the Spirit. Not to grieve the Spirit of God. 
by sinning after we have entered into a new covenant with God where he has written those laws inside us. He says here, So, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's how much integrity Christ requires of us. If we are going to be his wife, we have to have a sense of faithfulness. Very profound, very zealous, brethren, to be faithful, to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You see how all those concepts are interlinked and are giving us a profound message. And if your right eye causes you to sin, he's talking about looking. Now he's explaining to us how you put to death sin in a very dramatic way. He says, if your right hand, your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Why does he use that language? He doesn't mean literally you have to pluck your eye. But if you are being under temptation, brethren, and today, I tell you, that's all over the place. And especially on the internet, where 90% is reaching the fullness of iniquity, brethren. According to calculations I have heard from people that are experts on the Internet, they have told me that about 90% of the activity on the Internet is pornography. Not only heterosexual, but homosexual, pedophile, pornography, and beast pornography, bestial pornography, brethren. So we're reaching the fullness of iniquity. We are the salt of the earth. If we don't keep that integrity in our beings, brethren, we'll be cast out and thrown by men. If we don't fulfill the commission of being the salt of the earth, keeping our hearts and minds pure by being radical. When you think, and it helps, we're all exposed to temptation today more than ever with television, to the internet, with the movies. And we should flee from it, brethren, not expose ourselves to it. So we transgress that law. We have to be zealous in keeping that faithfulness and that holiness inside us and that respect for the presence of Christ and the Father in us through the Holy Spirit and not to grieve the Holy Spirit and show faithfulness and loyalty. And the concept of plucking our eyes will help us. Christ didn't mean literally pluck it out. Some people, it seems, have understood it that way. He didn't mean that exactly. And the, the following concept is very important also. It says, and in the same concept, right after he's speaking of adultery. So if you see just the picture, brethren, that can cause you to break the law written in your hearts and in your minds. For it is more profitable for you that your members, one of your members perish, than your whole body be cast off into hell. That means the Gehina. That means the lake of fire. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell or into the Gehenna, into the lake of fire. Brethren, why does he use that? He doesn't mean you have to mutilate yourself. 
But he uses that language to convey a concept, a radical concept. Put to death sin. If we don't think that way, sin will overcome us. We have to be violent to take over the kingdom by force. That's what Christ meant. Well, he said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He used that language to get his message across to the hard-headed people that were listening to him. At least they will remember, how can he speak in such terms? He meant, you know very well, the presence of the Spirit and Christ in the Spirit and the Father dwelling in us. And we have to be immersed in that presence Day and night, he said, the words I speak to you are spirit and are truth, referring to the concept of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Those concepts, remember that in John chapter 6, and that's exactly what he is using, this very radical and graphic language when it comes to overcome sin. That's the only way we're going to be able to overcome sin, my dear brethren. In chapter 6 of the book of, of John, it says, in verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. What does that mean? Eternal life is given only through the Holy Spirit. But he is meaning to give us a very graphic language so we understand the type of intimacy that he wants with us as his wife. Dear brethren, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is full indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So remembers that many of the disciples were offended. And then Christ tells them, tells them and explains in verse 62, What then if you should see the Son of Man's ascent where he was before? Verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and are life. When Christ said, pluck out your eye, speaking of adultery, and speaking, of course, of fornication, it applies today more than ever. He's telling, take it to heart. Be radical. Don't flirt with it. Flee from it. Cut off your hand. That doesn't mean mutilate yourself. But he wants to convey a concept, to come across with a concept so we gather exactly what he means. That means to put to death. That means to crucify, dear brethren. That's what he's talking about. And he wants us to understand. One of the conditions to enter the place of safety, for example, Christ said that iniquity will abound and the love of many will wax cold. What's iniquity? In the Greek, that means, the word is anomia. Nomos is the law. Anomia is the transgression of the law. And the transgression of the law abounds today. People entertain themselves day by day, watching the laws of God being transgressed. Brethren, I fly in those airplanes sometimes for 10 hours. And I don't watch those movies because they are not worth seeing. And if I have to flee fornication or to flee from bloody sins, brethren. I don't watch them. Sometimes I have to get up and walk on the aisles of the plane and see people glued to 
Sometimes I can see one sin as advised by brethren. I, I try to obey God with this type of teaching he is giving us and be radical. But people are looking violence. They're looking at adultery. They're looking at fornication. They're looking at sorcery, which is taking over brethren almost every time there are new movies. One of them has to be with sorcery. And we're going to see that's one of the things that come from the flesh. And is induced by the devil, by the power of the, of the air, dear brethren. Let's read in Isaiah chapter 33, the conditions to enter the place of safety. And Christ said, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Iniquity is the transgression of the law. It abounds today in entertainment. So we have to watch ourselves. We cannot let those things make us lose our reward or be exposed to the great tribulation and not count worthy to escape because we're not practicing the principles Christ gives to us so clearly in his word. In chapter 33 of Isaiah, and this will be worth a, a whole sermon to explain this, let's read chapter 33 and verse 14 quickly. These are the conditions to enter the place of safety, brethren. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Hypocrites. That's chapter 33 verse, 33, verse 14 of Isaiah. Who among us shall dwell with devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? Remember, there is a fiery trial come upon the church of God. When God says the love of many will wax cold because iniquity will abound. What is love? You know, love is defined as keeping God's commandments. First John chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. This is love, that we keep His commandments. The world doesn't know what love is. We know what love is. And the love of many will wax cold. That means if they have love, they have to be church members. It wax cold because iniquity will abound. They will entertain themselves and will not be zealous in this concept of putting to death sin and crucifying it. Let's put, for example, the sin. It says here in chapter 15. Excuse me, chapter 33, 33 of Isaiah. At the end of verse 14. Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously. Walks righteously. I mean, he walks according to the law written in his heart and in his mind. Not according to the law that is still in his members. He put them to death. That's what it means. That's simple. And speaks uprightly of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. Dear brethren, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes. I could explain many things about this, but of course, bribe has to be with covetousness. And that's idolatry. And that's breaking the first commandment. Dear brethren, to compromise God's law. That's what it means. Who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed. How much bloodshed, brethren, in the movies? I was traveling in recently from South America and this is the Avengers. That's the title. Avengers. Av- Vengeance belongs to God. And that's the title of the movie. How, what can you expect from it? Of course, I try not, I didn't watch it. Who stopped his ear from hearing of bloodshed? He's talking about entertainment, brethren. Let's watch ourselves and shut his eyes from seeing evil, shuts 
his eyes from seeing evil. That's the concept Christ was trying to get across to us. If your eye causes you to see, pluck it out. Throw it away. That doesn't mean take your eye, literally take your eye out, but it's giving us a clear concept so we understand sin has to be put to death. You don't go halfway with it. That's what he means. He says, who shut his eyes from seeing evil. That has never applied as today. Never in history. With all the images that are reproduced today, brethren. Implying fornication and adultery. Wherever we turn. Wherever we walk. My dear brethren. That's why if someone overcomes in the type of environment we live, he's an overcomer. He shuts his eyes from sin evil. He doesn't flit with sin. He put to death sin. For him it's like cutting off his hand, although it's not literal. I repeat it, of course. But being radical, that's a faithful heart. It's a faithful mind. It's a faithful one that Christ will consider as a faithful wife for eternity. We are being judged now on our loyalty to that covenant. And it has to be from the depths of the heart and the mind. And shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. His place of defense or refuge, you will look in other versions, will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. He will be protected because he is an overcomer. In the environment in which we live, brethren, never before had so many temptations come through the eyes, brethren, as today. And Christ gives us a key to be zealous and radical and put to death sin. Let's go now to the book of Galatians to make this concept even more clear, dear brethren. Book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, and we see the same concept coming to us again. Book of Galatians, chapter 5, and verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit. That means keep your eyes in that law. Keep your eyes in meditation. Fight everything that wants to lead you astray from that law. It leads to abundant life, brethren. We don't have to deny ourselves. Everything, we have to deny ourselves, as Christ said, everything has, that has to do with transgressing God's law. That we have to deny ourselves. Christ, God created many trees with fruits good to eat and beautiful to look at. They were not forbidden. They could eat all of, all of those trees. There was only one. They were not supposed to eat. God gives us many wonderful things, sceneries, beautiful, marriage. I say, great blessing, brethren. But we have to be faithful in that marriage. If we want to be faithful to Jesus Christ for eternity. He gives many wonderful blessings. We have to deny ourselves what goes against that law written in the hearts and in the minds. So I repeat, chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There you go. Again. The same concept. The loss of the flesh, it's a law that is in our members that has to be put to death. Not fulfill it. Walk in the Spirit. With the Spirit, put to death the 
deeds of the flesh. We read it in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. We have a daily battle, and it's a battle to death, brethren. As we have the sword of God, we have to put to death sin day by day and be radical. When God, Christ said, take up your cross and follow me, he is speaking in radical language and is the only way we will have the conviction and the power to overcome sin. Otherwise, we will be overcome by that law in our members. For the lost, for the, verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. That means deny yourself. Take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. Let's follow the example of Jesus Christ. But if you are led by the Spirit, there you go. That takes discipline, brethren. How can we be led by the Spirit? We have to eat those words that are spirit, the word of God, becomes that spiritual essence like that fuel that gets our lamps burning and the darkness are pushed away, which are the tendencies to break God's law. We have to feed the spirit with the word of God, which is spirit, the oil that feeds the lamp in us and makes it burn intensely like Paul said to Timothy, I advise you to stir up the fire. That's the meaning of that sentence. Stir up the fire. Second Timothy 1.6 is not translated into English that way. If you look into the margin, you probably will see. Stir up the fire of the gift of God that is in you. If you stir up that fire, it pushes darkness away. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the light in us that puts to death. Darkness. But if you are led by, the, led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That means you are not transgressing the law of God because you are walking according to the law of God, which is in our hearts and our minds. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. These are what this other law in us wants to do. They are evident, which are adultery. We already saw what Christ says about adultery, brethren. With the Spirit, you have to put to death that tendency. In radical terms, Christ spoke. Adultery, fornication. And today, brethren, as the activity of the movies and the Internet and everything else about are inducing people to covet, to covet even in the heart, brethren, we have to put to death and flee from it. Flee from it. That's what Paul says. And you know that in First Corinthians chapter 6. Flee fornication. Put it to death. That's the way you put it to death. Flee from it. Don't expose yourself to it. Let's be zealous in keeping that holiness, which is the obedience. Holiness is to obey God, brethren. That's what it means. Who are the saints? Saints means the holy ones. Those that keep the commandments of God. Where? Deep in their hearts. The overcomers. Like I said to you in a moment. If we overcome in the environment we live today, brethren. If we are able to overcome day by day. And put to death everything that wants to lead us. <clears throat> to a transgression of God's law. That's 
a proof to God that we are faithful and we are loyal. Like Noah in the midst of the corruption right before the flood. Even Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. People that were faithful to God. And Christ said in the days of the Son of Man will be that the days of Noah and the days of Lot. We're reaching the fullness of iniquity. If we are able to overcome in this environment, God doesn't need to put us to the trial of the great tribulation. He knows our character is being developed in his fear. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. Uncleanness, brethren, frankly, is a sexual sin. I don't want to go into detail. But Christ said what comes out of a man defiles the man. You can't conclude what it means. Licentiousness. Licentiousness has to do with the obsession of sex. Even the French are alarmed today, brethren. What they call cyber pornography is causing obsession in people. And they become, they say themselves, slaves. They cannot escape from it because they don't have the strength to put it to death. And they cultivate that day by day by being addicts. Remember, pornography produces addiction, brethren. Pornography produces addiction. That's what we have to flee from it. How do we know it? Now that we are there, let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes. And you will see how Solomon explained it in chapter 1 of the book of Ecclesiastes, brethren. Well, is we cannot get close, close to it, brethren. It will get to us. Chapter 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 8. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. Listen to this. The eye is not satisfied with sin. The eye is not satisfied. They always wants more. That's why pornography is such a good business. It's like liquor or it's like a drug, brethren. In the book of Proverbs, we see also this concept. If you want to look in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, you see exactly what God means by this. Chapter 27 and verse 20 of the book of Proverbs. Hell and destruction are never full. You know, he's talking about place to bury people. There's always place to bury people. It's never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. If we are trapped into this, brethren, we'll be slaves. Our eyes will not be satisfied, and that produces slavery. And that's what it is used to make money, which is the root of all evil, because it is a way to love money, which is idolatry, and induces the others to break the rest of God's commandments, my dear brethren. Let's continue here in chapter 5 of Galatians. We see the loss of the flesh, uh, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. We already saw what Christ says. Just to look at someone who is not your wife, or a, or a wife to someone who is not your husband, or someone with adultery is the same principle. Fornicators will be in the lake of fire. Watching pornography for a single people is, por- is fornication, brethren. That's what it is. We have to call it by the name. And we want to be in God's kingdom. We have to overcome. We have to flee from it. Fornicators will be in the lake of fire. They have proven they are not faithful to Christ, brethren. 
Let's continue here. Fornication, uncleanliness, I already told you, is a sexual sin. Licentiousness is the obsession that is produced by the addiction to pornography, is one of them, or to sexual sins. It produces addiction. It produces slavery, obsession. Licentiousness has to do with this. Lascivia is one of the names of it. Idolatry, we know that the love of money is idolatry. Paul says that in chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. So if we are not faithful in what's little, if we are not faithful of our tithes and offerings to God, we are keeping God from blessing us. People don't know. Sometimes we have our sight very short. That's something God says to us, prove to me to see how much I will bless you and open the windows of heaven upon you. If we are not faithful in what is little, how can we expect to be blessed? God will not bless a disobedient child, dear brethren. And one of the ways we can be idolaters is by not being faithful in our tithes and offerings to our God who gives us everything. And the reason why he wants us to be faithful to our tithes is so he can bless us. I've seen people that never get out of the hole. They're always in a vicious circle. They're not faithful in what is little. They don't allow God to bless them, brethren. Idolatry, sorcery. This big addiction to sorcery today. It's a fascination with this, brethren. A fascination with sorcery. And people don't know what they're getting into. It produces slavery. They don't know how terrible it is. And I have to deal with those cases, brethren. First, when they start reading this type of material, watching that type of movies, they start attracting demons to them. That's why God says, don't give room to the devil. If you give room to the devil, he will come to you. They are restrained. They are in a state of restriction. But if we start watching those movies and seeing them or reading those books, brethren, you are giving room to demons. And they will be with the person until they find a way to get into the person. It's a sad parallel with the Holy Spirit. When someone is obeying God, start producing fruit of repentance, that spirit eventually will come inside and transform that person into a divine son of daughter of God. But if we are, if people are, and that has happened in the church with children of brethren that are not supervised by their parents, they allow them to go into these comics, into these movies, into these books, and they attract demons, they give room to the devil, and eventually the demon will enter the person. That's the most horrible state that can happen to us, brethren. And that's what the devil is doing, preparing the ground for the last battle he's going to hold against us and the world where he knows he has little time. And he's preparing the ground so that people give room to demons in their lives. It's horrible. We have to hate those things and not be polluted by them. God says a lot about it in the law. Don't get close to it. Reject those things, brethren. The fear of God is to hate evil. To hate evil. Don't give room to the devil. So that will attract demons and will open the door for those beings to come to our lives if we start indulging into this type of thing that is 
full of it now. I got by curiosity the other day. I was watching outside the theaters. What are they playing? I, I was in Martinique, by the way. And I said, I bet you there is a movie about sorcery. Sure enough, we start looking and we found this Abraham Lincoln, the hunter of, of demons or vampires, something like that. They're producing that in mass now because it has a seduction, a deceitfulness, brethren. Hatred. People that hate and keep grudges are murderers. That's what First John chapter 3 says. If you hate your brother, you are a murderer. You have put to, to put to death hatred. Put it out. Don't give room to it. Even if you've been offended, we have to forgive. We have to forget. Otherwise, God will not forgive us and heal our wounds. That's the condition to heal a broken heart. Is that he has to forgive so Christ can heal his wounds and forgive him his own sins because we all have sinned. Contentious, contentions. You know, there are people are always in contention. Marriages or father and children and children and father and parents. We have to be diligent in walking in the spirit and putting to death every reaction that has to do with the flesh. And begging God to put peace and make us one with each other like Christ begged his father in the last prayer he did with his disciples before being put to death. Jealousies. That's a terrible sin, brethren. A terrible passion has to be put to death. It can destroy marriages. It can destroy relationships. Jealousy. Brethren, we have to be zealous for God, but we, have no, we cannot be jealous of each other. That's from the devil who was jealous of God. He's the prince of the power of the air who has put those tendencies in our flesh. We have to put them to death. Every time something like that comes to us, hatred or jealousy, outbursts of wrath have to be put to death. We can be murderers in the sight of Christ. He said it. If you are angry without a cause against your brother, You might be guilty of murder. That's in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. Selfish ambitions. To put ourselves above others, above God, is idolatry. Is to break the first commandment. Is to make of ourselves our God. That was the sin of the devil. That's what pride is, a sin. When we put our own self above everything else, we're worshipping that self, that ego. That's breaking the first commandment. Pride is a sin, brethren. Dissensions. It has to do with contentions, too. Some people cannot live in peace, brethren. We have to put to death those things and fast and beg God to change us, like David said, creating me a clean heart. Put change me. I cannot change myself if we kneel down and we beg God to change ourselves. And put this fountain of living waters because we put to death everything that is against Christ. Then Christ will be manifested in us. We're going to see that in a moment. Heresies are divisions. Create division. And the political parties, brethren. Who invented that? The devil. Democracy, like someone called it democracy. He created the first political party based on slander. And a political campaign is written in Ezekiel chapter 28. Dear brethren, how the devil 
created the first political party and how he campaigned and seduced one-third of the angels to follow him, one-third of the stars of heaven in political campaign against God, the perfect chief, dear brethren. Heresies are divisions. We cannot give room to it. Envy is envy. By envy, Christ was delivered. It's jealousy too. By envy, Joseph was sold. By envy, the devil attacked the throne of God, wanted to sit himself there. We cannot give room to these things, brethren. Murders, we already saw hatred is murder. We cannot give room to any of these in us. Drunkenness, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness is also, of course, false doctrine, which was presented to the church of God. Revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things, if we live that way, brethren, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. God is love. God would be manifested through those that put to death the deeds of the flesh, who take their cross. Then they follow Christ. They don't give room to any of these things in their hearts, in their minds, in their words. Remember one of the conditions to be in the place of safety, he who walks righteously and speak righteously. Brethren, the fruit of the Spirit is love. If we put to death the tendencies that are already in our members, and bring them under the control of the Holy Spirit, then the, liver, the rivers of living water will start flowing from our inward parts. We will become a blessing to people, brethren. A transformation will take place. And love will flow from us. Love covers a multitude of sins. It is written that hatred wakes up strife. But love covers a lot of things and doesn't wake up strife. Love can cover a lot of dissension and bring peace. Joy. Joy. When we cast every thought out of ourselves that is against the law of God, we become happy people, brethren, because we are what we think. That's a law. We are what we think, what we feel. Peace. These are blessings. Peace. Long-suffering. That patience only can come from God. We have to ask for it. We have to beg God, like David said, create in me a clean heart, a renew, a new spirit in me. God can change us. Christ wants to live in us and manifest love and joy and peace, long-suffering. That brings a wonderful atmosphere where we will be. We'll be the light of the world will be so one people want to be around. They want to experience these things flowing from our hearts when we put to death, when we crucify. Everything has to do with the flesh, with hatred, with envy, with jealousy. We put it to death and we let Christ be manifested through love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that means faith also. And faithfulness means also to be faithful to the one who called us and cleansed us and gave us his spirit 
and is judging us to know if we are faithful day by day. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, self-control, absolutely essential, brethren, to overcome what we look at, what we listen to, what we say, even the tongue, brethren, the most difficult one to control. God can give it to us. If we beg God for it, we desire it with zeal to reflect Jesus Christ. Against such things there is no law. Now listen to this. And those who are Christ's have crucified. There you have it. That's where we started. Here it is. And those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Day by day, take up your cross. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's the formula. So Christ can live in us. And the rivers of living water can flow from us. And those are the fruits of the Spirit when the fruits of the flesh are put to death. Then we give room to Christ to be manifested in us. And we become a blessing to everyone around us, dear brethren. You know, I repeat, verse 24, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's exactly what Christ meant. Put to death what is against my law. Put to death everything that would grieve the presence of God in us. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Put to death everything else, brethren. The list is very long. Let us not become considered provoking one another envying one another. And now, when we achieve that, then what is in Galatians 2 will be fulfilled in us. We put to death everything that has to do with the transgression of the law, that has to do with the fruit of the flesh, with the law in our members, if we overcome it day by day by crucifying the old self, by crucifying the fruits of the flesh, then what will happen, brethren? We will become a source of blessing. And that's what Christ wants us to be, the light of the world to bring joy and bring peace and, be, and bring wisdom and kindness to everywhere where we go, brethren. That's our mission. I have, I'm going to read Galatians 2.20. I think you are very familiar with this, Dr. Meredith's favorite verse. I have been crucified with Christ. I think by now we understand what that means. Exactly. I hope I have contributed to make it plain in your minds and your hearts. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It means I have put to death everything that is contrary to God, that is fruit of the flesh. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's our daily task. Let Christ live in us. Let's crucify the old self. Let's take our cross. Let's deny ourselves. And let's follow Jesus Christ.